Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. We are at the end of a series. I always hate when we get to the end of the series, because especially this one. The Running with the Giants series that we've been in has probably been one of the most encouraging series that we've done throughout this year. In fact, I really, I like it for two reasons. Not only do we find encouragement, but we also have an opportunity to really dive into our Bibles and get to know some of the characters and their stories. It's really important that we do that, that we, that we understand what really happened in their lives because their lives matter. In fact, the Bible speaks to this in our theme verse for the series. It's in Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, this is chapter 12, verse 1, and it's referring to all the heroes of the faith that were listed in Hebrews chapter 11. All right. So if you go back and read that, you'll know who the great cloud of witnesses that they're talking about. They said, but we're surrounded by them. In other words, they're watching us. They're watching us as we run the race of our lives. It says, since they're watching us, let us throw off everything that hinders in the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so the Bible recognizes that all of us are still in the race of our lives. All right. And these heroes of faith that are watching us, the reason it's important to look to them is because they finished their race. They're already done. And they've got a lot of encouraging things to share with us, a lot of life lessons to share with us because, man, they've lived this life. They've faced much of the same things that we face in this day. It's a very different time period, but the challenges were all the same. They were common to us. So we pulled out some of these giants out of the stands because they're in the stands cheering us on as we run our race. And we pulled out Abraham. We pulled out Moses and Noah. We pulled out Joseph. My wife pulled out Esther as she shared her message. And we even looked at King David. And this week, we're going to wrap up this series by looking at the giant of all giants, or as I like to say, the king of kings. We're going to look at Jesus. And so as we, as we look at our key verse, if we look at the next verse, which we haven't done throughout this series, so Hebrews 12, 2, check out what it says. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus. No matter what you do in your life, you cannot find a better role model to look at. Jesus lived this life perfectly. Now, we can learn a lot from the heroes of the faith, but they were not perfect. They struggled, they stumbled, they doubted, they faltered, faltered, and they sinned. They had issues, but Jesus did not. Jesus lived a sinless and perfect life. And so we can keep our eyes on him as we, as that verse said, let's run with perseverance. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. You say, well, Jesus wasn't in the same race we're in, Aaron, honestly. I mean, Jesus was God. So it was easy for him. Well, I disagree. See, Jesus was fully God, but he was also fully man. It's a great mystery that we'll understand at some point in time, even if we can't wrap our heads around it. But what that means simply is that he went through everything that you and I went through. He struggles with with everything that you and I struggle with, yet he did it without sin. He faced disappointment. He faced loss. He faced heartache. he he, He faced temptation. And he did it all without sin. He ran the same race 
that we've ran. And the Bible says that we should study how he did it. Jesus faced all that we faced in this life. He's the same as us. And because he faced all that we faced, we don't have a God who doesn't understand us. We have a God, or as the Bible refers to him, as a high priest who understands us because he went through what we went through. He's not looking down on us because we have doubts. He's not looking down on us because we say we ask God why. He's not looking down on us because we say, God, if there's anything you can do to take this away from me, take it away. Jesus did those things. He understands them. So he doesn't look down on us. He has sympathy and empathy for us because he understands. And as a result, the Bible says we can approach him with confidence because he's not distant from us. He's not removed from our experience. He understands it. And that's why we can study how Jesus did it, because he faced the same things as us. That verse continues on. It says, because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, or whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. Other translations say, at God's right hand. And when you find yourselves flagging in your faith, on that day when things have not gone well, on that day when things did not turn out the way that you thought they were going to turn out, on that day when the least expected thing happens, on that day, that bad day, when you're flagging in your faith, go over that story again. What story? Jesus' story. He drives on him. In that day, when you're having a bad day, go over that story again, item by item. The long litany of hostility that he plowed through. What Jesus faced. What he went through. And what we can learn. What he went through. What he faced. What we can learn. We do it over and over and over again. Now, I know many people that have gone, gone to church for a long time. We start talking about Jesus. They're like, hey, can you tell me something new? No. No, even the Bible tells us. The reason we need to go over it again and again is because we have a tendency to drift. We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to be in a moment of pain. And let me tell you something. The truth about pain is that it's blinding. We forget who we are. We forget who God is. We forget. We drift. And it's important that we continue to look at how he went through it again. What he went through. Because he faced a bad day. And when you look at Jesus' life, there's a lot to learn about how to face a bad day. And so today is dedicated to everyone who has had a bad day. For those of you who have said, where is the moment we needed the most? You kick up the leaves and the magic is lost. They tell me your blue skies faded to gray. They tell me your passion's gone away. You stand in the line just to hit a new low. You're faking a smile with the coffee to go. You tell me your life's been way offline. You're falling to pieces every time. Because you had a bad day. If, if you didn't know, I'm singing a song that's way out of pop culture at this point. It's a little dated, but there's a song called Bad Day for those of you that don't know. It. Those were just the lyrics to it, all right? We've all had bad days. You know why we re related to that song? That's a terrible song. But it was like it was like number one for a long time. You know why? Because we can all relate. We've all had bad days. I've had... As I was preparing for this message, I'm looking at my wife. I'm like, what bad day should I share? 
because I've had lots of bad days. And there's plenty of those bad days that would be way too humiliating for me to share. And so I chose one that was a little humiliating. One of, one of, one of the bad days I've had in my life was I got fired from a job. Anybody here ever been fired from a job? Nobody wants to admit that. Oh, there's a few of you. All right. Bold. Awesome. Anybody here ever been fired from the same employer twice? I have. So when I was younger, I worked for a company called Safe Light. And uh, I, I worked in a, in a uh, help desk support. And when I was a younger man, I could not honor my employers. I couldn't get up on time. I had difficulty waking in the morning and honoring them and being there when they asked me to be. Anybody else relate? And I love that job, but I just couldn't bring myself to honor their rules. And so I continued to show up late and, and I got fired. A few years later, they were hiring again in a different department and I applied for the job on a whim. I knew somebody that worked there and I think that's how I got the job because I was really surprised that they didn't go, we already fired this cat once. Why are we going to hire him again? But they did. They hired me again. And at this point in time, I had done something. I had drawn a line in the sand as far as hitting that snooze button. Because, man, I hit that snooze button a lot. So much so that I decided I was just going to open up. I got a screwdriver. I opened up my alarm clock. I removed the snooze button and threw it out the window on 270. That's my life you're laughing at. This, this, it really happened. And from then on, I, I really that was my moment. That was the line in the sand. We all know what those look like, but... But I got the job, and I really loved the job, and, uh, and I excelled at the job. In fact, they loved me, and they wound up sending me around the country to help in disaster relief and to train other people and to be a, be, be a part of, of, of that, that division, that branch within the company. And uh, unfortunately, though, I, I had gotten into a car accident and had several medical appointments that I had to go to, turning in doctors, you know, receipt, the, the, the uh, excuses and things like that, thinking I was doing everything right. And one day I came in. They pulled me into the office and they said, hey, we're going to have to go ahead and terminate you. Grab your things and leave. And I said, excuse me? I, I, thought we were, I thought we were good. They said, well, you've had too many occurrences. You've missed too many times. This. I said, but I've given you doctor's excuses for all those and it didn't matter. It was too late. They walk, as they're walking me out the front door, my boss leans over and said, if you had just filled out an FMLA piece of paper, you would have been just fine and we wouldn't have had to fire you. I said, well, let's do that. I love this job. You love me. Let's just do this. And she said, it's already too late as she ushered me out the door. I had a bad day. We all have bad days. And for when you're having a bad day, I'm going to tell you biblically, the solution is to keep your eyes on Jesus. That's what you need to do. What did he go through and how did he do it? Because in Jesus' life, he understood a bad day. We call it Good Friday, the day that Jesus was crucified. That was like his worst day ever. Do you understand that? Like seriously, that, that was a bad day for Jesus. A day that, that I would say that if there was any other day during his life that he would have wanted to quit on, that would have been it. That would have been the day that he would have. In fact, I know how bad it was because Jesus, being fully man, fully God, knew the day was coming. It's why he was sent to earth. And before he was taken prisoner to be crucified... He's on his hands and knees saying, hey, God, Father, whatever you can do to take this cup from me, let's go ahead and do that. If there's another way to do this, let's do that. He knew the bad day that was coming. Yet he faced it. It was his worst day ever. 
He was scourged, which means he was beaten with a cat of nine tails. It had lead and glass on it. And when they whipped him, it stuck into his back and they yanked. They didn't pull back this way. That would have been the nice thing to do. But once it hit his back, they yanked, pulling flesh from his body, exposing his insides and his internal organs. They beat him. And the Romans were trained to beat somebody within an inch of their life. That if they hit him one more time, he was going to die. They were trained. That's a bad day. Then they took a crown of thorns and they shoved it on his head, wrapped him in a purple robe, gave him a reed, which they beat him around the face and paraded him back in front of his people who, when he was in front of them, they yelled and screamed, crucify him. Jesus, not being able to bear the weight of his own cross, was to suffer public shame as he walked to the hill called Golgotha. Couldn't carry his own cross, and so they called a man out named Simon. He came in from the fields that day, minding his own business. Simon carries his cross. When he reaches the top of that hill, they stretch him out upon those wooden beams, and they nailed his hands and his feet to the cross. And they lifted him up, and he was dropped into that hole. Jesus hung there on that cross. And he didn't die because of the hand, the the. The, the nails in his hands and his feet. Crucifixion was an instrument of torture that would last oftentimes days. As you hung there, it suffocated slowly. Because as you hung there in the position in which you hung, your shoulders would become separated and the weight of your entire body hanging on the cross would be pressed upon your lungs and your lungs would eventually collapse and you would suffocate. To catch a breath of air, you had to push up and pull on those nails in your hands, in your feet, and then hang again. It's torture. This is a bad day. Bad day that he's faced. And while going through it, the way he faces it still speaks to us today. He's teaching through it the entire time. And as Jesus hung on the cross, there are seven statements that he made that will help us face our bad days better. And if you look at them to see these seven statements, you have to look at all four of what we call the Gospels. This is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament. Your Bible is divided into two sections, Old Testament New Testament. New Testament tells the story of when Jesus steps onto the scene. And if you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, put those stories together, we have what's called the harmony of the four books. You'll see these seven statements that he made. You'll see how to live through a bad day. And I promise that if you'll take any one of these today, and if you'll apply just one, just one of them to your lives, that'll put wind back into your spiritual sails today. Just one. So let's look at it. Number one, the first thing Jesus did was would tell us is to forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. There seems to be people that, that, that you would identify that they... They've gone through growth track and they went through step number three in the discovery part of growth track number three. And they discovered that their gift in life is just to mess yours up. Right. Wouldn't you say there's people like that? You see, it seems like it's their life goal is to hurt you and to wound you. Relationally, relational wounds can last a long time. And those wounds can lead to the worst days. In fact, If I were to ask you, I want everybody to participate if you can, if this applies to you, if you would identify, how many of you would say that your worst day so far was due to a relational wound? Just raise your hand. 
Now, don't point at the person if they're in here. That's not what I'm asking you to do. Your worst day. Now, hold your hands up high. Everybody take a look around. That, that's a good, good number of the people in here. Their worst day is because of a relational wound. Well, Jesus understands that. Jesus is, is being mocked. He's being spit on and brutalized. And the first thing he says after they crucify him, he's suffocating and he pushes up to catch a gasp of air. And the first thing he says is, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. Say, Aaron, that, that's a tough thing to do. I know. To forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life? I know. To forgive the people that have hurt you? That have stolen from you? That have lied to you? That have used you? To forgive those people? That's hard. I know. But I'm not telling you to forgive them for their benefit. I'm telling you to forgive them for your benefit. It's for you. Because let me tell you what unforgiveness, resentment, and grudges do. They're they're dream killers. They're absolutely dream killers. Because they will ultimately kill you. It'll kill your opportunities. It'll kill your relationships. It'll kill any favor that you would find in those relationships. It'll kill your attitude. In fact, Hebrews 12, 15, this is further down after our theme verse says this. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. In other words, that if you let unforgiveness hang out in your life, it grows up into bitterness and it begins to mess with the lives of the people around you. You essentially become the carrier of toxin. The wrong someone did to you when you don't forgive it turns into the poison that you will use to affect everyone around you. That's why it's important that we forgive. In fact, I think it's important that we spend time in prayer daily asking God not only to forgive us, but to forgive others. Jesus included it when his disciples said, teach us how to pray. He said, all right, here's how you pray. And he says, seek forgiveness as you forgive others. It's important. It's important that you not only seek forgiveness, but that you forgive others because you can't continue to receive forgiveness if you won't give it. Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 15. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Now, many people have a misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is not something that minimizes the seriousness of what happened to you. It doesn't do that. It was serious and it was real. It does not make what they did okay. What they did was not okay. It wasn't. It was wrong. It does not speak to the restoration of the relationship. That's not what forgiveness is about. We understand that trust is gone. That it takes time for that to come back. No, forgiveness is about you making a decision. That you will not hold a record against that person. (coughs) You decide. I'm going to let them off the hook. I'm going to let them off the hook, not because it wasn't wrong, not because they didn't hurt me, not because they deserved it, 
not because they said sorry, not because they asked for forgiveness. I'm going to let them off the hook and I'm going to trust God. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. That he's just. And if you just trust him and let him handle it, he'll take care of it. And you hold no record of wrong. You forgive him. And I'm going to tell you, some of you, this is all you need to get through your bad day. Forgive everyone who's trying to ruin your life. Just forgive them. Let them off the hook. Trust God and unburden yourself with that. The second thing we can see from Jesus and how he faced his bad day is <coughs> help others who are experiencing your same struggle. This is a huge mystery and a beautiful principle that unless you try it out, you're never going to know whether it works or not. You're going to have to test it. Try it yourself. On your worst day, find someone who's in their worst day and be a blessing to them. Serve them. Love them. Help them. If you'll do that, you'll have a better day. It will change you. Check this out. Luke 23. <coughs> One of the criminals who hung there because Jesus was crucified between two thieves. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insult to Adam. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And watch what Jesus does. He answers and says, I tell you the truth. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Now Jesus could have responded... Because here this thief is asking Jesus for help. He's having his bad day too. And Jesus could have responded, hey, I'm having a rough time over here. My hands are a little tied up. Not sure if I can do anything. I'm in the middle of something. But he didn't do that. He didn't do that. <coughs> he struggled to get a breath. He pulled himself up. And he served him. In the middle of his bad day, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And that's a real life lesson. There's something real there that we need to grab onto. That in the middle of our bad day, we need to help others who are struggling as well. I have a friend here. Her name is Danny. She's our care team lead. And Danny and I have something in common. We have chronic, chronic pain issues. And Danny knows when I'm having a bad day. She can see it on my face. And, and there are other days that I'm not even sure how she knows. Except I learned recently that when she's having a bad day, when she's hurting, you know what she does? She calls me. She doesn't call me and ask me for help. <coughs> she doesn't call me and ask me for prayer. You know what she does? She calls me and encourages me. She calls me and she prays for me. She calls me and tells me how awesome I am. Because she just assumes on the day that she's hurting the worst, I probably am too. And she reaches out. She's an inspiration to me. I love it. I love that she does that. She, she blesses me, and I know that in return, I light up, and I, know, and, I re, and I send it back to her. Man, that's awesome, Danny. Thank you so much. And I, and I just, I'm so thankful to be encouraged when I know that she's in pain. We need to help others to have your same struggle. I think that's why it's important that we invite people to church.
each and every one of you here today have, have struggled with something at some point in time in your life. Each and every one of you, the reason that you came to church at some point in time was because you were struggling under the weight of your own life, the weight of your own decisions, the weight of your own sin. Carrying it all on your own is not how you were meant to be. You were meant to be connected with that which created you, and that's God. You were meant to know Him. And somebody invited you and brought you to a place where you could meet Jesus, and it changed your life. That's why it's important that you invite someone else so they have the same opportunity, especially during this next series. This next series falls at a strategic time of the year. Do you know why? Because around the holidays, November and December, Depression rates go up, and so do suicide rates. People are looking for something. They're looking for family. And as I look out here today, I see one big family that would love some people, that would welcome them right where they're at, and that would be willing to introduce them to Jesus. But we have to invite them to come. We have to invite them to come and to sit with us, to be with us, because people are hurting, and they need the Lord. You want to change your whole day? Watch someone you invited to church receive Jesus. You want to change your perspective? You want to, you want to put some wind back in your sails when you're going through a bad day? Invite someone to church and let them meet Jesus. Let them meet Jesus. Because you had a part of it. Of them receiving what they needed. Here's a promise from Isaiah. It says, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the need of the oppressed, then watch this. Not their light. Your light, your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Your dark will become like the day, bright like the day, <coughs> when you serve someone else. So do this in the middle of your worst day, it'll change everything. Man, <coughs> I'm really struggling up here today. Does anybody have a cough drop? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Tim, I've got good notes. You just want to come up here and finish this for me. Third thing Jesus would have done, that Jesus did in the middle of his bad day. Be sure you're taking care of those closest to you. Hey, we got one. Yeah, my hero. Thank you so much. Round of applause for my buddy, Greg. <clears throat> Be sure you're taking care of those closest to you like Greg just did. Thanks, Greg. You know, it turns out, if you were to look at your bad days, I think you probably identify that your family probably gets the worst from you on your bad days. And the reason they do is because you assume that they're not going to give up on you no matter how mean you are. No matter how 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 much the brunt end of the of, of, of your day that they get. No matter how, many, how rude your comments are, they're not going anywhere. You kind of assume that. You're nice to everybody else, but you'll dump on them. And you'll presume they'll just understand. It's kind of like, like uh, it, it's a little two-faced is really what it is. You behave one way with them and one way with another people. It's kind of like a lot of you on your way to church today. A lot of you guys were fighting on your way to church today. Somebody was late, didn't get up, didn't feed the dogs, didn't take care of this. And on the way, you just fighting. The second you hit the door, it was like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, nice to see you guys today. Hey, hey. Jesus understood this. Let me show it to you in John. He understood how important it is to take care of those close to you. 
In the midst of his pain, he, he sees his mother. His mother shows up as a crucifixion. And Jesus had 12 disciples. The Bible tells us that only one of those 12 showed up. We don't know why the others didn't show up. Maybe they were scared for their life. Maybe they were ashamed. We don't know. But Jesus' closest friend, his John, showed up. And he's standing there with his mom. And Jesus says something that, that theologians help us understand or believe speaks to the fact that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, was dead. That, that he had died much earlier on. Because honestly, he's not mentioned in Scripture again after we see Jesus around the age of 12. So it's quite possible that Joseph has passed on. Otherwise, what Jesus says would have been a little inappropriate. But he, he addresses his mom and he speaks to his mom and John. He says, dear woman, here is your son. So he's, he realizes there's going to be a hole. There's going to be an absence to fill there. And then he looks at, at John and says, here's your mother. On his worst day, he didn't dump on those closest to him. He didn't yell and scream at them. He loved on them. He recognized what their needs would be and he served them. And I would say that, that today we live a life where our bosses and the world gets our best. And we come home to our spouses and our kids and they get our worst. And we need to do all that we can to reverse that. To give the best to our families. To give the best to those that are closest to us. Jesus did that on his, on his worst day. So let's learn from him. Fourth thing we can learn from him is that realize that until you get to heaven, there are some things you're never going to understand. We're going to go through bad days. And we'll go through bad days, almost every single one of us say this line, why? Or we go to another place where we say, it's not fair. No one else is having to go through this. How come my family, my, my brother didn't have to go through this, and my friend didn't go through this. This didn't happen to so-and-so. Why is it happening to me? And then we get mad at God when he doesn't seem to be responding. How come you're not answering my prayers? Have you stopped listening? I've had enough. This needs to end. Why? We all land in that place. We've had a bad day. Why? And Jesus understood this. Now, when we look at Jesus' life, we know that he knew what he came here to do. We know that, that God sent him with the plan. In the garden, he identified he knew what he was headed towards. And yet on the cross, Jesus says something that is puzzling. He says this. This is the fourth statement that he made. And even though he said this, we know that he knew differently. He said, my God, my God, why? He said, why? Because even though he knew differently, he probably felt this way in this moment. He's identifying his very humanity that he really can relate to us. And he says, why have you forsaken him? Well, God hadn't forsaken him, but it probably felt that way. And even Jesus, in the middle of his worst day, asked why. We all ask that question. problem is we don't always get to understand. But when we don't understand, we can trust. We can trust God because he's good, because he's just, because he's faithful, because he always does what is right. He's trustworthy. In fact, Proverbs 20, 24 says this, The Lord directs our steps. That means everything that happens to you, every step that you take in life, whether you turn to the right or to the left, all of them, the Lord directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? We don't get the luxury of understanding everything. 
But in the absence of understanding, we can trust. And I think that's the greater thing. That we can put our faith and our hope in him. We have to be settled on who he is even when we don't understand. So we trust him. It's okay not to have answers. Because one day we will get them. One day we'll get them. It may be in this lifetime or it may be when we get to heaven. The Bible says there's a day that when we get there, we see him, that our eyes will be open. We'll see it all clearly. We'll understand his plan for our life. We'll understand the steps and the missteps. We'll understand all that happened to us. And we'll see that he was faithful. We'll see that he was good regardless of those things. There's a day that is coming. But we need to realize that until we get to heaven, there are some things you're never going to understand. The thing we can learn from Jesus is be human enough to acknowledge your need. We don't like to do this. <laughs> we're really proud people. We're, we're among the, the top 1% of wage earners in the world. We're rich people. We don't like to ask for help. We don't like to admit that we have a need. We don't like to admit that we can't do it on our own. It's the American way. We do it on our own. We build ourselves. We made ourselves. So our pride keeps us from expressing our humanity and acknowledging the need that we have in our lives. But we need to be open to this principle. Back to John for the fifth statement Jesus made. Later, knowing that all was now completed and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. He identifies a need that he had. A need that he could not meet on his own. A need that he needed help with. He said, I'm thirsty. He was honest. He couldn't do it himself until a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and they lifted it to Jesus' lips. But we all have needs. Every single one of us. We have needs. They may be physical needs. I'm hungry. I don't have a place to live. I need a job. They may be relational needs. I'm new to town. I don't really know anybody. I'm here checking out this church and just want to see if this is for me. I'm looking looking for a connection. Or I'm here today. I'm looking for a connection with God. I have a need. There's a hole in my life. We all have needs. And if we don't take opportunities to express those needs, they, they go unmet. We have to be honest and ask for help. And none of us are so self-sufficient that we don't have room to ask for help. None of us. None of us is beyond it. But we need to. Jesus did. So I thirst. That's why I'm going to do what I'm going to do right now. We're moving into a new building. And as strong as my team is, our leadership team, as talented as they are, as generous as they are with their time, we can't. We can't get this place ready without you. So we're going to have another work night. Say, oh, there it is, Aaron. Well, I'm just telling you. Many of you know that the, the, the issue that I have with my back, I, I, I'm useless. I, I can't lift much of anything. I was at this last work night. This is just me expressing my humanity, being, being honest with you. I went to lift a chair and the people yelled at me. Put the chair down. Go sit down over there. It was humiliating, but it's true. I need help. Our team can't do this alone. And so Tuesday night, 630 to 9, we're going to be back at the new space. From what I understand, we've got some awesome new trussing and some lighting and, and some painting, some more painting in the kids' ministry that we that we need to do on Tuesday night. And the more hands we have, the faster the work goes. We may not have to be there until 9. In fact, we planned a two-hour work night last week, 
and, and we weren't there for the full two hours because we had so many people show up. I need help. We need help. Get the place ready. We'd love for you to help. 1055 McNaughton Road, 630 to 9. Derek, is that right? Yes. Thumbs up. Thanks. Can't see that at all, but uh, that's awesome. We need your help. I thirst. And so do you, each and every single one of us. We thirst. And it's better that when you thirst that you have people around you. That's why it's so important that you find a church. It doesn't have to be this one. It doesn't have to be. I'm under no delusion that this church is, is going to be the best church for every single person. Just find a church. Do everything that that church does. If you want to know if this church is for you, we have something called Growth Track that will tell you everything about everything that we do. It's four simple steps that we do on the first, second, third, and fourth Sunday of the month during our second service in our conference rooms. That means this one coming up. Today is step three. You can find all, all about our church by going through Growth Track and find out if this is a church for you. And if you decide that it is, become a part. Get connected. Do what we do. Get connected with some people. And then, then once you've found yourself a church, whether it's this one or another one, take big church and make it small church. Get into a small group somewhere. We call them grow groups here. Get into a place where you have the opportunity to be open and honest with somebody that you're in relationship with. Where you can say to them, and express the need that is within you, I thirst. I got this going on in my life. Things are a little messed up. And you know what's going to happen when you do? The person that you're telling that to is going to look at you and go, I got some stuff going on in my life too. Things are a little messed up. I thirst. You need to get yourself into a group. Now our groups are coming to an end at the end of the season. But there is plenty that you can be involved in. Our work nights, our, our Christmas Eve service. Uh, there's Christmas on the town that's coming up here in a few weeks. There is, help me, anybody. There's, somebody, there's, there's a group of people going, Carol, you can get involved in a lot of different ways. Meet some people. Get in relationship with people until our groups launch again in February. Take big church, make it small. Get in relationship with people. Find people you can tell you thirst. Number six. Be assured there is a purpose and an end. I covered this at length last week when we talked about Joseph's story. That every story that you have, when you step into relationship with God, he adds his power to your life. In fact, he does what we call redeeming it. In other words, he buys it. He lays claims to the rights of your story. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and use this for my purpose. He adds purpose to your life. That means all the mistakes you've made, all the good things you've done, the relationships you've formed, the relationships you've broken. He says, I'm going to grab all that. I'm going to redeem it. And I'm going to add, there's going to be a purpose to it. There's going to be a purpose to this bad day. And then he also promises that there'll be an end to it as well. That there'll be an end to it. God will use whatever pain you face for his glory and your betterment. It's Romans 8, 28. What Jesus said on the cross is simply this, regarding this. It is finished. And this isn't even the last thing that Jesus said. He said, well, what was finished for him? Well, the work that he started for you. The work that Jesus started for you. His sacrifice allowed him to pay that price for you, to redeem you, to buy back your life. Not only forgive you, but to give you a new start. And only do that but to take what you've been through and use it for his purposes. And when he does this, when he adds purpose to your life, 
it stops the enemy dead in his tracks. Do you know why? Because what the enemy meant for bad, God turns it around and uses it for good. It brings an end to it. That's why 2 Corinthians says this, Therefore, we don't lose heart, though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. How? Glad you asked. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. You might be having a bad day now, but there's a purpose for it, and an end in sight. The last thing that we can learn from Jesus in the bad day that he had is, finally surrender your day to God and let it go. So here's the seventh statement Jesus made while hanging on the cross, and it's the last one. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And some of you are here today, and this is exactly what you need to do. Some of you are here, and you're in the middle of your bad day, that bad, that bad experience. And you just need to commit it to God. You just need to turn it over to Him. Because you've been trying to solve it yourself, and you're exhausted. You've been trying to make sense of it, and you just can't seem to do it. And you need to turn it over to Him, because honestly, if you could fix it, if you could make it right on your own, you'd have done it already. But you can't. You need to trust God. You need to turn your life over to Him. Let go and let God. If you don't, you're going to learn soon enough that, that He's the only one that can fix it anyway. He's the only one that can handle it anyway. You say, well, that's not true. God doesn't give me anything I can't handle. That's not true. God won't give you anything He can't handle. That's the truth. Today, you need to surrender your life to God. Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would just help us to let it go. Whatever it is that we're facing, the, the bad day that we've had, I pray that you would help us to just trust you with it. And to trust not just this, but our whole lives to you. For everyone that's going through a bad day, God, I pray that we would remember in the middle of our pain that seems to be blinding us, causing us to forget who we are and who you are, I pray that we would remember to look to Jesus, to see what he went through, see how he went through it, to learn. I pray that you would let us learn from him as we follow in his footsteps to forgive others, everyone that's trying to ruin our lives, to serve others that are going through the same kind of pain that we're going through, to care for our families first and best in the middle of our bad days, to trust you with what we don't understand, to be bold enough to share the needs of our humanity with someone else, take off the mask, reveal the pain that is there that we thirst. And Lord, finally, to be assured of your purpose and an end that is coming to that which we're facing today. Lord, we just trust you. And there are those of you in this room that, that you need to receive something from God today. If you're ready to, re to surrender, I would just challenge you just to, just to hold your hands out open. Just just. You can lay them there in your lap or just in front of you. Hold your hands out. I want you to pray a three-word prayer. It's a prayer that I pray often when I face a bad day. When I face that which I don't understand. It's three simple words. I say, I trust you. Today, if you're facing a bad day, this is one of the greatest prayers you can pray. 
I trust you. There are others of you here today that you don't need to just surrender your bad day. You need to surrender your life. You've been carrying the weight of your own life. You've been carrying the weight of your decisions, of your sins, and of your mistakes. You've been carrying that weight all on your own. But you weren't meant to do that. In fact, God knew that. That's why he sent Jesus. Jesus died on the cross so that you and I could be forgiven. So that we didn't have to carry that weight ourselves. In fact, God is so unconcerned with your past because Jesus already settled the debt. He's not concerned with what you did last night. He loves you right here and now, and he's looking forward to your future. Looking forward to a future with his plan and his purpose for your life. Today, if you're ready to embrace that, if you're ready to let go of your past, if you're ready to let him forgive you and give you a brand new start, if you're here to receive all that Jesus accomplished through his life and his death and resurrection, if you're, if you're ready to do that, I'm going to pray a prayer in just a moment. I would love to include you on that prayer. You say, what, it'll co- what will it cost me? Well, salvation is free. But Jesus says, if you want to stay free, it's going to cost you everything. That, that you need to learn to, to do things his way from here on out. And we'll help you with that, so don't you stress about that. This is your moment to make a decision. So I'm going to pray that prayer, and if you want to be counted on that prayer, would you just would you just slip your hand up right now and be bold and say, Aaron, that's me. I want to do that today. Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. I see that hand. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. Put your hands down. Anybody else? Say, Aaron, today's my day. I'm going to surrender my life. Church, let's pray together. Nobody needs to pray by themselves. Everybody pray out loud. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Show me how to live for you. Today I surrender it all. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Come on, 